Hello and welcome to the Make Dope Shit podcast. It's a series of interviews about making stuff. It's really that simple. Ultimately, I'm just sitting down with a bunch of artists and talking about their craft and whatever they do. Today's episode is with Scarlet Street. Scarlet Street is an Ohio-based pop punk band who, at the time of recording, had just released their debut full-length album not all that long ago. And we met up in their practice spot to discuss all sorts of things, from this album to their recent tour and what it's like working on new music right now. Uh, this episode was pretty DIY. We had two microphones for five people. We were set up in a band practice space, so somebody next door was playing the drums at one point. But it was an awesome conversation, and thankfully the audio turned out pretty much just fine. Um, so yeah, you can stream Scarlet Street wherever you get your music. Follow them on Instagram at scarlet.street, on Twitter at scarletstreetoh, or hit up the description wherever you're listening to this to find any sort of relevant links. Without any further ado, my conversation with Scarlet Street. So we'll just jump right into it. Um, what, like, what are you guys working on lately? What are you, what are you making? What are you doing as of late or right now? I think, uh, here, yeah, I'll do it. I think right now, like after, just like in the wake of the okay. album coming out, like we really want to like dig into the next one. Like, I, I think, I think even when we left the studio, it was kind of like shit, like that was cool. But like, like, I think we can do even, even better, like with the next one like i i think we were already brimming with ideas like on the drive home from new jersey yeah i i i would also agree with that um going into studio for us was a a massive learning opportunity so we we learned a lot of things we learned the things that we definitely want to improve on for the next time and to to follow up on that driving home it's like okay cool so now we're very excited for recording Again, but we also, you know, in in the sense of okay, now we know what we want to have ready to go for the next recording, and and that we want to just also kind of push all the music further than we did with the first record. Yeah, what was um? So I mean, for I guess for those who don't know, um, you guys just went and recorded. Where do you guys go to record this this debut album? Uh, Soundacre Studios. Okay. We, we we recorded with Gary Sione. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So, and that was, um, I guess was that your first your guys' first experience in like you know a big proper recording studio doing something at this scale? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, individual members have have recorded in in other aspects like doing home recording stuff and and doing actually yes. Yeah, I've I've done a uh, one. Uh, it was weird. Uh, the last band I was in, uh, the guitarist had a friend who went to college at Capital University in Columbus, and uh, as a project, they just needed a band to record, and we got lucky and got a free uh, recording session for one song. But um, that band is now extinct, and there's a song lingering on Spotify, and uh, that was my only other studio experience. It was that. Yeah, I. <clears throat> Luke and I both separately have actually uh, recorded with a band called Atomic Potato. Uh, it's kind of an ill-fated thing. Uh, but what's funny is we both recorded the same band at separate times. Both of us were both. Yeah, it was a, that was a ska band. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Luke... Luca left to move to Cleveland, and I ended up moving to Cincinnati at the exact same time. And uh, we recorded at a place called 
I, I think for you as well. What was it called? New Fidelity? Yeah, New Fidelity. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's who we refer with too, I think. Actually, somebody with the specials, actually. I don't even remember who, but um, yeah. Huh. Uh, but so yeah. so I want to I get into like what um, – I guess I've, there was another question I want to ask that I'll now just kind of – we're going to skip a step here, but what – um, what was that process like, you know, being in a studio with, you know, a producer and all that working you guys through your material? Cause I'm sure you guys went in there with, well, I mean, obviously you went in there with a bunch of material that you wanted to record. Like, what did that, what did that process look like for you guys? And what were like some of the things I guess that you picked up, um, in terms of, uh, you know, like filtering your ideas or like refining your, uh, your work. I think refining is, refining is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Maybe like, even humiliation, I guess. <laughs> like we uh, realizing that we're not as as hot shit as we thought we were, and then um, building on that. And and uh, yeah, I don't know. We we came in and a lot of songs changed. So the you know. the first day, I mean, Gary, I talked on the phone with Gary quite a lot uh, before we headed out, and uh, you know, I, I remember even like kind of telling him, I was like, yeah, we'll send like demos your way, and yeah, like yeah. On the phone, he's such a nice dude because he's like, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, like whenever, you know. And that was key, like that was code for like, I'm not gonna listen to him. <laughs> so by, by design, yeah. By so design. we get there, and he's like, he's like, all right, guys, like you know, he's like, he's so kind, you know. When we get there, he's like, you know, like yeah, I've got like beds for you guys, you know. There's like a PlayStation and an Xbox for when you're, you know, chilling and everything, uh, you know, just yeah, yeah. And he's like. We get in there. He sets up the bikes. He's like, "All right, so just like start playing these songs for me," and we're like, uh, "Okay, yeah, yeah sure." Yeah, he's yeah. like, "Yeah, this will just be pre-production. You know, we'll we'll play the songs." And we like play the first song. He's like, "Yeah, so that like goes on two minutes too long, like that." Yeah. So go ahead and like we're not gonna like play this bridge you had in mind because that's just like that's adding too much to the song. And like it was like that for every song. Like yeah. it, like patron saint was a five minute 45 second long song it was almost a six minute long song and it was like my baby on that album and we we do it i was like i was like this is gonna be a song he's gonna like fucking love like this is is it yeah we do like one take and he's like all right jake you can come in from the drum room i was like oh damn he liked it that much huh he's like yeah so why did you record two songs in one (laughs) so it was very very to the point you know it's like okay and then there was also literally that that moment like night one or whatever where it was like okay we got some work to do yeah and and, then it was you know it was it was done in a in a gary sione kind of way but it was very just to the point like okay we have work to do it's like okay i was warned by like a lot of our peers and like bands like neighbory who'd like recorded with him that like he's 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 gonna be like rough on your like your first takes like he but He's, you're gonna leave with a much better album, and that's like one thousand percent true. Mm-hmm. Some of these songs weren't even completely done, um, like especially "Talent Borrows." Mm-hmm. That song was that was like a that was another like six minute long song that we like literally rewrote entirely, and it was all because of Jake. Jake was like, "Let's slow that song down," and like totally different drum beat and it was 10 times better so so what was the difference between like when you went there and you had all this material um what was the difference between something that you felt was done versus something you that you felt still needed work like how did you know or how how do you know when you're you know writing a song like um what's what's that feeling like or or what's it like when you go oh hey i've i think this is done like how do you kind of know that 
Well, we, we definitely kind of knew it. There was definitely, you know, a couple of songs that were that were feeling much more completed. I mean, you know, Dealey Plaza, yeah, number one example. <laughs> we we played it for Gary, uh, and he just kind of was like, okay, you know, there there was there was notes, you know, but oh, everything like actually, structure wise and all that was just like, hey, there we there go. Was, there was no notes. Oh no, you're totally yeah. right. There was. <laughs> we played. Was, we I, played that song. He's like, "That's a good song. That's no a good notes. Song. Cool. Turn yeah. around. That was it. That was the yeah. only song. Uh, but I mean, so then there's that. But then on the flip side, you have like where Patron Saint got, you know, a, you know, its runtime, you know, and, and the convention, which I think Ben should definitely speak a little bit more about Patron Saint because I was like said it was his baby, and there was a lot of. Um, there was, you know, the, the process begs a little more explanation on that. But then, like, Talent Borrows was just sort of a, you know, that song would not be what it is if not yeah. for if not for Gary and, and Jake and, Jake. and you yeah. know, sitting there going, like, because it also, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, instrument-wise, it was a little bit more complicated in its original format, and it got kind of simplified in the ways that it needed to be simplified, and it got slowed down, but it's, you know, and... <laughs> And Gary said the the weeds spoke to him, you yeah. Know? <laughs> and uh, that was in. It's like, oh my god, that song, you know. So yeah. I mean, to answer your question, like really directly, there was a lot of songs like Patron Saint or Dealey, like especially Dealey Plaza. I mean, we went in there. It was like you know, like one tiny little guitar part changed, yeah, maybe. But you know that that felt like a hundred percent done before, like months before we even headed out. A song like um, a song like Talent Borrows, uh, like what it, it, it didn't even have a name when we left. For one, I mean, like it didn't have the demos didn't have like an idea of a vocal melody. I mean, that song was we were really rolling the dice on that one, and that was mostly on me. I feel like these guys had like their ideas figured out, and it was just kind of like a lot of it was like cool ben doesn't know what he's gonna do for this song and there's like even like the second and sometimes the third week it was kind of like like i'm really just like winging it sometimes so but yeah like um there's like a the whole album has like a, a wide array of like songs that were like totally ready to go and songs that were like we winged it almost and uh like it's it's kind of wild. Like I'm sure some people could maybe pick out the differences, but like even myself, I kind of forget like which ones were like mm-hmm. so like just last minute and which ones were like super planned out. Yeah, which um if and maybe the answer is it, it doesn't matter, but were there any of those that were uh it, like if you're looking at the unfinished ones, the ones that were unfinished when you went in versus the ones that you felt were more refined, um looking back now that the process is done, I mean, do you feel like um are your favorites more in one camp or the other? Or are they pretty evenly split across, um, across that that divide? I personally, I feel like it, they run the gamut. Like some of the ones that we, I mean, Talent Borrows may be arguably one of the best, if not the best album. I mean, in my opinion, I like Patron Saint the best. I think, um, and that one was like. Gary was really nice in the sense that I was like, no, motherfucker, I'm going to take this one on. I'm going to edit this one down myself. Um, and when we did, he was like, yeah, I like that. I like cause it's kind of funny. We did like a, a version, a Gary version, and we did a, a Ben version. And we agreed on the Ben version, which made me feel like a fucking superhero. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I it didn't change that much. It just lost parts, essentially. And uh I still like that's still my favorite walking away like 
we're now a year and a half almost from when we recorded it, and I still love that one the most. And then, you know, like Talon Paros is the total other end of that spectrum. I mean, like I pretty much so credit Gary and Jake for writing that song. And uh, like that's probably my second favorite on there. Depending on the day, it might even be my first. I don't know. Like I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I can be a little like self centered about stuff. So like I, I, I don't know when it comes to listening to the album. Like, well, what drum parts sound coolest <laughs> to me? But because I play drums, so I don't know. I, I, I think my favorite song might be Mazda or uh, Clam Fandango. But I mean, that's, that, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, but I don't know. Like the that bridge in Mazda. I don't. I can't remember if that was even written like that before we got in or not. I can't. It was it was pretty roughly it definitely the structure was was similar but what, actually what no yeah doing the high was, the hi hat pattern was yeah. I did I didn't have that before we got in the studio there, there's so many drum parts I know you just like pulled out in studio and there are there was so many moments where I like me and Rob can attest to this 100 percent where like Jake would just pull out a drum fill and Gary like the was the whole reaction was ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he would be sitting in the he would be sitting in the control booth obviously behind the console and he would just turn to you know ben or me or whoever was there in the room with him and just it was you know slight eye squint sort of and then you're like okay cool and then he would do you know oh, let's give it one more you know but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but so it was more of a it was more of a feeling in the room than than anything yeah yeah yeah, the the very last thing that I would say to that, since everyone's talking personal faves, I, I still gotta go uh Manos, the Hands of Fate. Love that song. Uh I just I think it sounds so cool. And the reason that I like Manos the Hands of Fate so much is because when I when we play it, when we hear it, it's like cool. And then also with kind of going back to where we're excited for the next record, I hope that there's more on this next record that is stylistically and um musically more like that particular song and i think that's yeah i was actually about to say that yeah. like the manos there's three tracks on this album that i feel like on the ride again on the the what eight nine hour ride back from new jersey to ohio we were literally like that's what we want to do next time it's more songs like manos patron saint which is funny kind of an older song but and in talent borrows like those three tracks were like that sounds like the future of Scarlet Street. So then, so I guess that kind of gives us a good jumping off point to go to the next, uh, um, kind of some of the next stuff I want to talk about. But like to, I guess to spoil it a little bit, you guys are here, um, or well, for those who don't know, because they're probably only listening because there is no video, um, <laughs> we're we're in you guys' practice space right now. Um, uh, and you're, you're here to, you know, work on writing some new material for the first time in, Ben, how long did you say it was? Honestly, since before we went into studio, we we recorded our self-titled debut in November of 2021, and most of 2021 was spent working on those songs. So, like, really, since then, <laughs> like, wow. so 2020, early mid 2021, and now we're like finally trying to refine some old demos we've had, kind of kicking around and mm. bringing up some new ones with with the help of Luke, who hasn't really said much today yet, but. But we'll get more. We'll get him involved a bit more here. Uh, oh, God, I, I'm going to talk to him about the tour as well. So don't <laughs> yeah, worry. Perfect. We'll, we'll, um, but uh, okay. So I mean, what does like from? And I want to take like the old demos out of the equation completely um, for for this question. But what does it look like um, for you guys to take a new idea that's like, oh, this might be something? Uh, 
you know, just something that is something that's not refined in any way whatsoever. Like what, what are the first steps of that process look like of turning, you know, an idea, whatever that idea might be into a, you know, a full fledged song. Um, I think a lot of bands say the whole thing of like, you just kind of jam together and, uh, think of stuff. But funny enough, I think we, and I could be wrong, but I think, I think we actually come up with stuff separately and then bring it to the table more so. And, uh, I don't know. I, th I think that's pretty cool. So, so on, on that note, um, how are you guys, like when you have those ideas separately, how are you like, like capturing those? Like what's your, what's your process look like to get those from the outside world into this practice space? We got a, we had a couple different methods. Um, like sometimes, sometimes they do kind of happen spontaneously. Like even while we were kind of getting ready for like our album release and like tour while practicing, like there was sometimes, you know, Rob would come up to me with like, Hey, let me see your guitar real quick. I actually got an idea, you know? And <laughs> I just like get my like voice app or whatever it's called yeah, out yeah. and just like, I'm like, cool. Before you play it here, like just let me capture that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's like some demos i have just like sitting on my hard drive that have like literally drum parts and everything that i'm like to jake i'm like ignore the drum parts they suck yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> you can do ten thousand times better but it, like it's it's kind of a good question because <clears throat> like before what we would do is i kind of feel like it was me going hey guys here's the song and here's how it's played and like even when we were just like getting up to studio time, I was like, "This method sucks. I don't like this." Like, what? Like, and, and by the time we got to studio, and like I said, we like kind of did like talent borrows and stuff. It was kind of like, "Shit, dude, these guys can like really like hold their own too." I mean, like I said, Jake practically, I give him full credit for writing talent borrows. So that what was that the the impetus of changing that uh, that process was just being in the studio with these guys? Kind of. It was, it was like already on its way. Like, I just, like, this band started from just being a solo project for me, and I hate solo projects. So, like, it was a, it was a begrudging solo project. Like, I was like, I don't want to do this, but, like, nobody else is going to play with me. So, and then, you know, hmm. like, I've known Rob since college, and Jake, in the craziest of circumstances, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. became our drummer. And, like, once we had that, it was like, okay, like, definitely these guys are like competent rob, rob doesn't know how many songs he's helped me write too like it's hilarious because i'll have like a demo that we recorded together actually and yeah he doesn't remember recording it well yeah well, there, there, you know there's also just it, it's it kind of also can come down to that you know oh yeah there there you know what happened to that demo it's like oh yeah that's on my old phone or you yeah know, like that's the other thing that happens a lot too um what what I'd really like us to kind of start doing more so in the future, and, and you know, I'm going to real quick also, uh, don't allow Ben to sell himself short. You know, there was a lot of the, the, you know, like the lyrics and the material and all that kind of stuff. You know, when you're listening to the first record, a lot of that is, you know, it's, it, it, you know, a lot of it is, is Ben's really, really, really hard work into it. So don't allow him to, you know, sell himself too short on that. Like it's, you know, no, in all seriousness. But then, you know, um, any more, you know, I'll sit down with a guitar or with my bass or whatever, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, I kind of like the way that this sounds, and this is kind of, you know, roughly how the song structure could be. But when it comes to – I, what I would like to do is literally just come to Jake and come to Ben and come to Luke and just sit there and say, this is the idea, this is the super rough song structure that I have where here's – kind of the the lyrical content that want to tackle with this and be like 
you know, I'm not going to program drums to it or, or you know, whatever. It's like, I, I we have Jake. I don't need to do that. You know, it's yeah, just sure. here. Like, <laughs> and, and honestly, there was, you know, when we were recording, that was a lot of those, you know, kind of kind of go back, you know, those moments with Gary where he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, Jake, go for it. You know, and then you could kind of there was like a you could be like, OK, he's he's you know, he's following the structure. He's following the structure. Ooh, I like that, you know, or like, oh, that's not the structure, but that's better, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, that's how I at least how I would like to approach songwriting in the future. I, I feel like, you know, that might be a, a point echoed by everyone. But, you know, hey, great guitarist, great guitarist, great singer, great lyricist, great drummer. Let him do the let him do the work, you know. Great bassist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bassist. <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, I don't know. I feel uh, oftentimes I just kind of play along to what these guys, you know, give me. But uh, I need to uh, start giving them more stuff to play off of. But uh, that's what the Yamaha EAD10 is for. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty cool bike that just uh, mics all 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 the drums in one little mic. But it's like five hundred bucks, so you know, there's that. I kind but of feel. I kind of feel nice like, for ideas. Yeah, I kind of feel like drummers get the kind of the short end of the stick with that. Where you Everything's know we have expensive and big well, and that fucking. <laughs> but like we get all these fun pedals to play with, and the drummer gets nothing. So I feel like it's kind of cool. You get this like multi effect you get to play with because it, yeah. it does spawn ideas. It's it's good for little ideas and taking notes down and recording stuff on the fly. But also, yeah, it does turn your kit into like a little electric drum kit. Yeah. So, I I will say too that more on point like. Luke texted me, what, three days ago, I think you said, and uh, you said you had something in the realm of 80 ideas, yep. 80 riff. Which is just, oh my that, God. To me, that's <laughs> absurd. So here, we, I, I want to I point a question to Luke here, because this yeah. was, I mean, this this is also going to be the same question I'm about to ask all of you, okay. but because of that statement, I specifically want to start it with you. Um, if you have 80 ideas like that, like, how do you go through filtering those out? Like, what, what does the process look like for what's good and what? doesn't make the cut it's almost kind of like rolling in a rpg game it's like you have all of these items that could be good for your build, and they might be amazing items mm. but they might not necessarily work with your skill set and attributes so it's basically like all right bring it up this work for what i'm working on no another 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 and you're going to hear the same riffs so many times mm. but it's all about the time and place it's like mm. I mean, cliche analogy, but it's like proper ingredients. Like when you're at a point in a song and you need a certain feeling, you go to your spice rack and you're like, all right, what tastes good? So hmm. it's it's cycling, basically. Hmm. Okay. And then so um, to take that and extrapolate it out to like now you're in an environment where um, you've got three other band members, right? And you guys are all – you all have a bunch of different ideas of your own. Um, how do you guys like filter and sift through – to, to use the cooking metaphor like how do you sift through spices collaboratively like what does that um what does the process look like like how do you as a group um sift through some of that well you guys uh if i can go ahead and and jump right off that one i would go ahead and say that i i trust the opinions well it, it, and it really does come down it comes down to trusting the three opinions of the people around you and also that you know, especially as a bass player, it's kind of I, I sort of default to the what serves the song mentality. And I think that that's really good for that collaborative, you know, like pick a spice or whatever. You know, if if the if the 
you know, to follow the analogy, if the um, if the uh, recipe calls for this particular baseline, that's going to be the baseline that I'm going to play. You know, if it calls for this drums or, you know, these guitars, you know, if this guitar is literally just going to, you know, drone on an octave chord or whatever for, you know, a, an entire yeah, verse, then that's what we're going to do because we, you know, at least that's what I, you know. I mean, I think a lot of it is just like, at least for me personally, is if, if we're not having fun, the audience, you know, no one else is. So right, like right. in the end of the day, like we have to just be flat out having fun with whatever we're playing mm-hmm. and whatever the other person is playing as well. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's a pretty good analogy. Just more an analogy, just like a good thing to point out because like at the stage we're at, if the songs aren't entertaining live, like they're not like that's that's going to be how we kind of get a a new fan is playing these songs with our absolute hearts. Like I I think that's like the draw. Yeah, and and waiting like three more albums before we get annoying and experimental. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. So also like a perfect example of that is once Luke joined. Uh, and we started to play some of the songs that we were, you know, that we recorded with the first album. And, you know, OK, now how are we going to kind of play these live? I mean, Talent Borrows is the like number one example of that. And I have literally had people come up to me after the show and sit there and go, man, you, got, you know, like, oh, that was a good set. You know, but man, that last song. And what was your guitar? Like, what was the guitarist on the right? What was he doing? You know, so I'm going to hand the mic back over to Luke so he can kind of explain that. But it. it it illustrates the point that we're trying to make. Well, basically, um, how this kind of all got started is about, what, three months ago, back in late December or something? Maybe even October. Yeah. yeah. You had a guitar player that bailed on you guys, and you needed, like, you, you were asking me if you wanted, like, if I wanted to help out. And, of course, I would love to help out. I've, I've known Ben literally since freshman year of high school. Yeah. We've been doing music for over a decade, so... It was nice to hop in, and um, he gave me the set, gave me the songs, and basically for three months, I played through that set pretty much daily. So after a while, I mean, in the nicest possible way, you get bored. So you just, like, <laughs> you put in new ideas, like, and some of them work and some of them suck. But when you get down to the ideas that work and you play them and the other people in the band like them, you start to do that, um, and... Talent Borrows was one that I really enjoyed kind of digging in on because the last part of that song has sort of like a noise interlude that you said Gary made all that? Yeah, yeah uh, that was the moment where apparently the weed called to Gary. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, that was like, what, what kills me though is Gary made that, but I could have done it. You know, like I that's what I used to do when I like, you know, when I first started this is like, no, all right, I let's remember. just twist like delay pedals all the time and you know. You I... did that at a freshman year talent show, I remember. You were literally like up on the stage with a drummer and a DL4 making these delay storms and everyone was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Well, but well I, was... I think that to Gary's credit, isn't that kind of like did he do that at the end of the the recording process with you guys? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah. I think uh, I, I don't know. I feel like that's almost to Gary's credit of like he I, he probably wouldn't argue with you that you could have done that, but I think that was a little bit of him understanding what it needed for for you guys and understanding your your work really. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like, I mean, I I could like it's it's in the sense of like you see like 
a baseball player like making an ama- amazing catch like well i could have done that it's like well you're not so, <laughs> like yeah um no like and there there are so many like little moments like that where it's like dude this wouldn't have happened if gary wasn't the producer like yeah it's 100 percent he he kind of came in clutch there that's awesome um so so i want to go back really quick we've got a couple of things is we'll we'll get into the live um live music discussion kind of the tour that you guys just went on but um Oh, where did that question go? It's somewhere in my head. Um, oh, uh, I forget who said it, but something about, um, I think, Jake, you said it about if the audience isn't having, or if we're not having fun, then the audience isn't yeah. having fun, right? Uh, how do you, like, um, or actually, hold on, there was it, there was that, and then there was a discussion around, like, um, those moments where, like, audience members will come up right. to you after the show and say, like, oh, like this or that. Like, how do you... Um, how do you identify those pieces when you're in the studio and, and working on stuff where uh, you or, or have you been able to identify that? Like, is there anything that you've been in the studio and be like, oh, this is going to be a hit live or does it all have to get figured out live? Um, I, I was going to say, I feel like it's a complete crapshoot. Yeah, yeah, it's well, it, it kind of as cheesy and I hate saying this uh I really hate saying this phrase, but it's kind of just a vibe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, you just kind of you, you feel it and then you're like, all right, well, uh, it, it's kind of like if you find a rift that you want to play over and over. Like, obviously, you don't want to let it overstay its welcome. But at the same time, like, because you want to play over and over, like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to give that to the audience and maybe call it back later in yeah. the song or something like that. But I feel like conventional wisdom would say, like. Clem Fandango would be like the biggest hit on the record. I, I feel like it's like conventionally like a, a pop song. And right, right. It like it High has, energy, it has the all least, that. I, I love it, but it has the least streams on the album. You know, like so it's it's kind of crazy. Like Talent Borrows is a very subversive song, but at the same time, we kind of went when it went all in on it with like like I you know it's I send it out to people and like hey like what do you think about this for your playlist and stuff and like it's you know it's kind of a strange song and it's still like the least attainable song i'd say on the album possibly well i mean it goes back to the whole thing that uh, they always say less is more and like isn't that song literally three notes on the bass yeah uh no the bass does have four notes (laughs) (laughs) the majority of it is is a three note structure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but like it's and and the drums are but it's what the song needed well, like that, then that started out as uh, I think even I put 16 notes with the same tempo, and Gary was like, "No, that's too many hi hats," and and I was like, "Oh, okay. I remember that." And he's yeah. like, "Oh, also too many, too much bass drum." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and yeah, then, he, like, he wanted you barely playing the drums. Yeah, and 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 it works. It's so haunting. It well, funny enough, I was I kept. It sounds silly because he's like, play less. And I was messing up because I kept instinctively hitting more bass notes. And I'm like, but that feels like there should be one there. And I don't, I don't know. I just, I think obviously in the end he was right. And less is more often. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just what people are into right now. Like more slower stuff with bass or I I don't know. I've I've definitely given up trying to predict what people are into. Uh, especially cause like my, I think my mentality with like writing a lot of music is always like zig when people zag. Like, I think while we were writing this album, which like a lot of these songs, I mean, some of these songs go, f- 
as far back as like 2016 or 2017. I mean, these are some of these are old songs. And like at the time, like like bands like, uh, you know, Modern Baseball were really big. And like, I don't know. It's like a lot of those bands kind of like bottled lightning like with, with their sound like it's kind of like the front bottoms i'm surprised they are a big band <laughs> like that's mean but like i get i get the appeal but like it's that's that's like so like left field like trying to like like obviously i don't think any of us all four of us would agree like none of us would ever try to like write a song that's like a sound that's popular right now I've never been hip enough to determine what that is to begin with. <laughs> right. Like I'm I'm constantly listening to new music, so like in like in the sense that like that shit inspires me when it's good. But yeah, like I would never try to like emulate a set. I don't think any of us want that. I think if anything, like I would I would love to emulate like obviously I say all the time my favorite band being Blink One Eighty Two, like I would love to emulate a feeling that they like that whole no fucks given, like, I'm just going to kind of, you know, do whatever I feel like, but as long as I'm not hurting anybody and, like, I'm just going to have fun. Like, um, and I, again, because in the end, like, you can't really predict. You can sometimes. I mean, I guess that dude from Nickelback literally spent, like, a year writing This Is How You Remind Me or some shit and, like, predicted that that was going to be a hit. So I guess I guess you can predict yeah. hits if you if you know if you study it. I, I have don't heard know. Rivers Cuomo puts all of his lyrics on a spreadsheet. So God only knows. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on, can we elaborate on that? What the fuck is, I, like are you, is that a real thing? Yeah, Putting... no, I'm actually not joking. So apparently Is that how he excels? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've heard he like uh I mean, is he running analysis on his like character count and his lyrics? And like, I, I mean, that's a crazy process. I there, I think what he does, and then like, I'm not Rivers Cuomo, that god, but um, <laughs> he like is like, okay, I'm gonna like have a like literary um effect here, and oh, I need a verb. Wow, yeah, and it needs to be this many syllables, and he has a spreadsheet where he he like literally turns to, like. I there is definitely some science to you know writing music and actually that's something I've kind of been enlightened to since we went to the studio like Gary Gary explained it to me in a very non-scientific way of like or maybe it's just stating facts of like this is your first album do you want this to be accessible or what and that was a good point um cuz not like we were writing some like you know dismemberment plan shit but like we were there was definitely moments where it's like this last part of this verse, you got to play it safe. And do you feel like that molded or changed tracks on the album in a way that looking back on it, you disagree with the outcome, I guess? Do you feel like that has has neutered any parts of your sound or or do you think that was a productive part of the process to to have the audience in mind like that? I think for the most part, yes. There's some parts on the record i disagree with slightly but it was like if i disagreed with it that much i would have said something and there were plenty of moments as you guys remember where i was like gary no fuck you dude we're doing this and he he was he was like all right you know what and then like every once in a while he'd be like i'm glad you said something because i do think it sounds better that way yeah it was it was he he come we describe him as such a hard ass and it's more like he absolutely is my type of like humor 
mm-hmm. is the best way I can describe mm-hmm. it. Like he he's blunt when he needs to be, but like funny blunt. I yeah yeah yeah. So but yeah, there there was plenty of moments where I was like, I want to, because here's my thing: is like the co- it was a compromise between. Uh, how about we write like a two minute twenty second like pop punk sounding song when I wanted to write a seven and a half minute you know like oh we we're gonna have like horns here and then there's gonna be like you know forty five seconds of silence like it, it was a compromise between completely like left field unaccessible and probably would have absolutely sucked mm-hmm. and hey let's like do the safe thing and make like completely make the song not suck so yeah. like there there was definitely it, it's hard to like because it sounds like you're compromising your values when you say like oh let's play it safe and i think there's a very good way of doing that and a very um formulaic way of doing that and i think we manage to stay away from formulaic because like my whole life like the only thing i've ever been scared of being is a cliche and i i th- I definitely can say with this album, we're not a cliche. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some pop punk songs on there, but yeah, the, yeah, the, it runs a gamut of like sounds the whole th- way through yeah. the 27 minutes at last. And, and to kind of tag back just a little bit, like Patron Saint is a is an absolutely perfect example of this exact thing because Ben kind of was like, you know, there there were some of the songs, and this was admittedly earlier during the recording process where it's like Gary's, you know, no, we should do it this way, and we're like. Yeah, okay, good point, you know. But then once we got to something like Patron Saint, Ben was more like, let me, you know, like you said earlier, let me give it a shot. Let, let me give it a shot for, you know, let me let me satisfy the the Gary requirements of this, but, you know, a little bit more in, in the vein of what I was originally thinking with the song. So, you know, there's some, there's some slightly different song structures and, you know, there's, there's even where um, in that song you feel like you're about to go into a chorus again and then boom, it's a bridge, you know. So there is still, you know, to to avoid the formulaic aspect mm-hmm. of a song. You know, it's like, you know, oh, I've heard I've heard this song structure before. Of, oh, 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 there's that first chord, you know, and all that kind of thing. And something like Patron Saint does not do that. You know, you're like, oh, OK, I wasn't really expecting it to go there. But and, and you're, you know, we go into the bridge of that song and it's like, oh, yeah. Feels good, you know, and and uh, you know it's it's powerful, yeah. So to, I, I'm going to ask one more question about process, and I want to kind of dig into some of the stuff on on tour. Um, so I'm going to follow this up with another question um, right after you guys give an answer. But um, with some of the stuff that you were talking about um, on how you like cut down a lot of the um, a lot of the material, you know, some of the songs started like six minutes long, and you um, you went in there and immediately. Um, you know, trimmed a lot of the fat on it and, and tightened a lot of things up. Um, but you, in that process, learned a little bit about refining your your sound and your and your songs. Um, what would it look like for you guys if today you were now like, okay, with all these new things that we know, we're gonna write a twelve minute long song? Like, what would that what would that process look like for you guys? If if, if it had to be twelve minutes, or, or just like. Or super long. I mean, like, it doesn't have to be. Right. No, no, no. Like, I so get what you're saying. Kind of, like, left to our own devices, we were able to, like, nobody's going to. I, I think we, we found the difference of, uh, n- like, what is filler and what's not. Yeah. That that was a conversation we actually had in studio was, or maybe it was right after studio. I'm not sure. But I remember 
I think Rob, you said like, yeah, that we gotta, we definitely gotta cut the song down time wise because you said something about runtime, and I remember going, Gary isn't concerned about runtime. It's it's if the song is interesting, you kind of have diminishing returns on the ability of a song to be interesting when it goes on for a long time. That doesn't mean a twenty minute song can't be interesting for twenty minutes. You just have to be on your shit. Yeah, like, ex- for twenty minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. like that Rush song, you know, twenty one twelve. There's like something like the No Effects Decline song, where it's like twenty songs with really effective transitions, but you can tell that they like kind of wrote them separately. And then there's something like the old school prog epics, where it's like you can tell this was meant to be one consistent thematic thing. That shit's hard. That shit's really but hard. I think there's the reverse of, and and I, I hope this isn't me just shitting on Green Day, but uh, is Jesus of Suburbia the same three minute song like repeated four times? Yeah, Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I, but so yeah, I I think we kind of and and this kind of coincides with this. There's like a um, documentary on Netflix called This Is Pop, I believe it's called, and uh, they have a whole episode on Sweden because a lot of pop writers actually come from Sweden and they have like this, like Swedish people are amazing in the sense that they're just like, I don't really have time for bullshit. So can you just get to the point, you know, and they kind of like the producers that come out of Sweden kind of have that similar mentality when we're like working on music. So, you know, their whole mentality is like, why, like why would any part of the song be not interesting? And that's, that's a really good point. Like, why would you not like want every single second of a song to be interesting? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of when I when we walked away from studio it was Gary doesn't want shorter songs. He wants more interesting songs. So does the audience. More, more. Uh, in, 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 every instant, yeah. Every instant of a song being exactly the instant that you need in that song for it to to people want to listen to your whole three and a half minute long song and be like, that was a good three and a half minute long song, you know? And like, I've had experiences before writing long tracks where people will get kind of caught into traps where they feel that because they've gone in a certain direction, they're like creatively beholden to finish that direct when it's like, no, you're just inside your own head at this point. It's like, if it's boring, it's boring. Like no matter what arbitrary creative rules you've invented for yourself, you have to kind of take a step back from that and do that reality check of, Oh, is this fucking boring? Like, <laughs> I mean, you gotta take in people's like attention span, and like, oftentimes, as like, there, there's a time and a place for pure self-expression, and like, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks. I just want to put this onto media and whatever, and like, make a CD. But like, then there's like, I I want someone to listen to this for more than ten seconds. And especially because, unfortunately, a lot of times you show people an album and they check it out. For ten seconds on their phone speaker, so yeah. if you're in, if you're not able to like catch them quick, and, and that's where I was kind of joking before, but at the same time not where yeah we got to wait a few albums, but then we can get weird and annoying and experimental because hopefully by then we have people who will stick around and want to hear that weird shit, you know? Yeah, you kind of can't do. I mean, this is more marketing, but like you kind of can't do the conventional like, oh, this worked for Radiohead. Like, yeah, Radiohead had ten million fans after their first album. <laughs> You know, but yeah. well, so to to um, and I mean, look, I've listened to Radiohead. I, I the nuances of their discography, I'm 
you know, I don't know if, how much sense this question makes. Um, but uh, if not, we'll cut it. Fuck it, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> um, shit, where was that question going? Oh, w- w- like when you said they had 10 million fans after their first album, like do you do you think that Radiohead was you know playing it safe or do you think they were doing more weird experimental shit that they wanted to like the i guess is the question luke and i have had this conversation a lot uh have that conversation yeah yeah yeah. uh my my so like i'd say three and a half maybe four of us in this band are like pretty big radiohead fans or at least we very much so enjoy them and like I've never felt like Radiohead ever, at least after their like maybe first album, maybe their second album, ever said like, "Oh well, we got to consider the pop sensibility of this." Like, I, <laughs> but like they all five of them went to like music school, you know? They they it's like they they've made a study of this. Maybe they don't care much about that study because I think they all dropped out. But like, I don't think they labor over the point of is this going to be catchy or is this going to be they just kind of shit out good music <laughs> and like like and that's that's cool like I I um I also think they wear their inspiration on their sleeve a lot and people don't notice that because it's just like oh the shit is so good and that's something like definitely on on this album like even going into it I was kind of like it's okay if this song sounds like, you know, a 2001 song or whatever. Like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. <laughs> you know? Like, I always kind of thought that they are very, very good at understanding. Because what I always thought and what is for you to effectively communicate a more abstract artistic idea, there has to be some sugar with the medicine. Like you have to give them a reason to latch on for them to be receptive to the more artistic stuff you want to do. And I think that Radiohead is very good at that. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think that's probably a more apt way of saying what I was trying to say of like, they don't, they don't sit there and go like, Hey, how can this like chorus be more catchy? It's just, they just happen to do a catchy chorus every time. And I think it's because they just like writing fun, fun music. You know, I don't think it's anything like, and, and I, I think that's like kind of what we would love to strive for is, and I honestly, like with some of the new demos, I, I do kind of feel like that's, it's, there is some sugar with the medicine. Exactly. Like yeah. it, it is kind of like, yeah, this is a gloomy little like riff, but like, it's still going to get stuck in your head, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a, they, they just hit a, perfect balance yeah i agree because you could just sit there and do like a 17 minute like drone sound yeah, you could always be mertz bow and like just, <laughs> you know make it your mission to be as unpalatable as possible for artistic purity but and that's admirable but you just have yeah. to understand that that's gonna be you in your bedroom rolling the dice for those 10 people who vibe with the thing you're making yeah like Whoever is listening to uh, what is what is that? It's the caretaker that that six hour long oh, I album love about that Alzheimer's. Album. I'm sorry, but like, do you do you do you sit there on your morning commute and like, all right, I'll I'll listen to the the next half of the first album on my way home. No, I might drive <laughs> off the interstate if I listen to that on my drive to work. It's just so depressing. <laughs> but, yeah. No one just puts that on. You put that on one time, and then, and then you're good. Um. Okay, and then so I guess to kind of get us on the on the tour, um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, so we've been going almost an hour at this point. So we, I mean, we can, like I said, we can go as long as you guys want. Um, 
but uh, if if you guys are like, hey, shit, we've got to go, we, like we got to write some 20, stuff. Twenty minutes. Yeah. Cool. Um, but uh, with with touring with all this stuff, I assume, I mean, everything you guys played on tour was uh, like you weren't playing any unreleased songs, right? No. Okay. Um, so then then on that note, what um, you know, pick just like take a moment to think of one of the songs in your head. Um, and like what what were some of the differences in how you played it on the album and at the beginning of the tour versus how it sounded at the end and like what were what were some of those things that like kind of influenced some of that and what were uh uh like some of those steps along the way well if you want to answer you got anything to say i mean you go ahead first I... uh so like it's kind of funny because like most of my life i've considered myself a guitarist who happens like i i wouldn't even say happens to sing it was like when Scarlet Street absolutely first started, like as in like we I made like a Instagram page, it was like, OK, I can play bass. I can, you know, do MIDI and drums and, you know, play guitar. And I guess somebody has to sing on these and I'm the only person. So, like, I've never, ever really considered myself a singer. So I will definitely say, like, by the time like day even in the album release show, I almost consider that part of the tour. I'll just call that part of the tour. And like, I feel like between that day and like Sunday in Indianapolis, I like finally learned how to sing. <laughs> um, like, and for the first time I like legitimately enjoyed it. It wasn't like a belabored thing I had to do every night. Like even, even in studio, like it, it felt like, fuck, I have to sing. And it's it like two boxes of throat pills. I went through, dear God, I don't even know how much throat. I think I bought like a bulk pack from Costco of throat coat. I, I, I hated singing. I hated how my voice sounded so much. And, and honestly, like to Gary's credit, once again, like he had a, a really good setup with like these crazy microphones and everything. But, uh, he also had, you know, like What's crazy is he had no comment on my voice. And, like, part of me was like, that is so calming. But another part of me was like, I wish you'd say something. Like, am I emotive enough? Some acknowledgement. And he's not, a, he's not a vocal coach. I need a, I would have needed a vocal coach. But my point being is, like, between, like, night one and night whatever of a tour, it was like, okay, I'm kind of figuring out how to, like, scream here at the end of Talent Borrows, which is flashback two years ago is which i i wish i would have been able to do that and it was like oh hell yeah i i've figured out how to do like i, I used to play we when we used to play songs like back in 2018 like live there was some times where we'd literally like three songs in my voice would be done and i'd be like cool i'm gonna limp through these like i'm not even hitting the right notes anymore because my voice is done and yeah like this tour for me personally was like holy shit i can finally sing kind of <laughs> yeah like i wouldn't say uh like luke said earlier um it wouldn't necessarily get boring but i think uh something about this tour uh i played the songs just enough where i started uh i mean obviously there's there's muscle memory that's been there but uh getting more confident live just adding in stuff that isn't in the songs yeah. um you know little i had tricks and stuff that just just for fun that uh like during the bridge of uh mazda or something like that yeah like it, it's just 
I, as a drummer, there's not that much more I'm doing. It's kind of like once I figure out the structure of the song, I just got to get through the song and have fun with it. And, you know, I drum fills are always change a little bit here and there. Like I never do the same exact one, but I could if I wanted. It's just that would get boring, you know, so you just kind of have fun and think of new fills along the way, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if any of you guys felt like it, but it was like over the six days by being in that close quarters and playing literally every night, it's just like we kind of got tighter every show. Oh, yeah. It's like from the first show, we're playing well, we're playing like we do in practice, we're playing like we did at the album release show, but by day six, you start to get telepathy. Like, you're just like, you know, what I used to look at Jake to get, I just kind of get now. Like, so mm-hmm. I, th- I think there was a lot of that, like, growth in even just the span of a week. Yeah, yeah 100% agree with that. Also, just kind of having that, <clears throat> you know, we had some shows that were, you know, while we were on tour, we had some shows that were tighter than others. And then there was also just like, oh, hey. You know, last night when we played Daily Plaza, it sounded a little better than tonight, or you know, or vice versa. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, and it was such, any it was such song to song though. That's what's, yeah, that's yeah. what's funny. It's like like night two, uh, you know, Clem Fandango would sound great, and night three would sound awful. But like night three, Daily was perfect or something. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, there was definitely like, and it, it's funny because I've been like Luke and I have been playing in various like. If you could call them bands, I'm not really sure, but like, you know, like there was some like Luke and I have always shared some sort of telepathy and like that was him joining. This has been fucking incredible because for that reason alone. But, uh, you know, Rob and I have, my God, been doing this my entire adult life now. And, you know, like Jake is such a damn good drummer that like. Really, it's not even like like we've developed that kind of. I love that term telepathy, but like we've developed that kind of sense. But it's like not even like you have to. It's kind of like a tractor beam. Like he's gonna just do his thing, and you just follow. Mm. <laughs> and he's so good at that. And that's yeah. It's just yeah. I guess this is the best group of three other musicians I've ever played with, and it's 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 like I don't know. By the end of the tour, it showed. Like, we were, like, sounding like what I want to see. And that's that's what's really important. I was also super, super into the fact that, you know, by our last show, which was in Indianapolis, yeah, I think all of us were pretty tired. And we were all very, very ready to be home and to see our families and do, do all that kind of stuff. But we still went out there and it was just like, yeah, that was a, that was a damn good set right there. You know, and, and, and there was like, hell yeah, you know. I always kind of go to, you know, especially Jake afterwards, because, I mean, bass and drums, obviously. But I go to uh, I go to Jake afterwards, and it was like, good, right? And he's like, yeah, it was good. You know, it was like, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's that little affirmation and, and reaffirmation, I guess, mm-hmm. of just, yeah, that felt good. Okay, cool. I'm not the only one, you know, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Not to d- detract from anything, uh, but just in, I don't know if, for the record, I think the next door guys are playing "All of My Love" by Led Zeppelin. I don't know if they're playing it or if, uh, but anyway, yeah. 
Um, so, so then as you guys are going, you're, you know, you're playing these sets and things are getting tighter and you're, you've got that telepathy that you mentioned. Um, are there any things that you guys found yourselves doing? Um, you know, I think Jake, you mentioned like trying different, uh, you know, different things that aren't in the song. Is there anything that, uh, you found yourself doing night after night that was a, like a repeat or was it just every night you're trying different shit? Um, well, one thing that's just flat out, not in the album, uh, the ending song that we we end shows with, I guess, uh, and also in the album with Talent Borrows, uh, there's a whole like fade out part where I kind of do that same beat, but on like a low tom thing instead of the hi hat, and then I add a bunch in uh, a bunch of fills, and it slowly builds up and gradually gets more explosive. Um, but that is not on the album at all. And other than that, Clem uh, Fandango. You yeah. completely oh, yeah. change how you drum on that one. You're it's right. amazing. The uh, I forgot there's a whole like bridge in there that's not in the album at all. That 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 whole bridge has drums, but in in the album it's just some crashes. I think yeah, it's very it's simple. Sparse, yeah. Yeah. And now the live it, version. Not to make comparisons, but I think that one and I I don't know, it sounds very self-indulgent to say because of, I, I'm a Travis fan, but it, I feel like that specific song sounds Blink-esque at, at times. Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. There, there, like I said, the, with this album, we kind of like wore influences on our sleeves a bit. And I think that's totally oh, – like yeah. that's what you do yeah. when you're, you know, with your first like real release. Even, even other dude, it was funny because uh, – what was his name? Was it uh, Connor or Caleb uh, who came and filmed with – Big Gary, and then the footage got corrupted, so he couldn't. Yeah, it was Connor. Yeah, yeah I... I think he was a drummer too, and and he literally like watched me play a song, and he's like, "You fan of Travis Barker?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I like Travis Barker. <laughs> he's he's a cool guy." All right. Well, I think. Um, I mean, at this point, we've got been going for well over an hour. I feel, or about yeah, at least an hour, just under. Um. So, uh, and we've got some drum practice going on right yeah. right next to us um so i will let you guys uh get to what you're doing for the rest of the day and, and starting to write some new material but thank you for uh thank you for doing this has been a been a fucking blast hell yeah thank you thank you oh i guess really quick uh if you guys have any sort of plug or things that you want to send people towards or anything like that if i mean like i said i don't know if this is coming out so maybe this plug is useless but whatever <laughs> you want to plug do we have anything to plug? I mean, we have a new album, but that's about it. Go I've on. got an OnlyFans under the name of... <laughs> it's, it's called a Bulk Package Throat Coat. <laughs> yeah. Just go, you know, 20 bucks a month. 20 bucks a month for him. Yeah, bulk Package Throat package. Coat. Basic, that's the basic, basic package. What it's do you, the bulk package. Luke, what do you get on the, on the basic package? I don't want to spoil it. You don't want to spoil it? It's all a surprise. It's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> wow, good job. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening this far into this podcast. I'm sure that's good for my engagement metrics or whatever the algorithm overlords are interested in. Check out the description for any show notes, links to the information about the guest or myself and this podcast. And, and uh, yeah, that's it. Am I done recording these uh, intros and outros? I think I am. And yeah, that's it. I don't really know what else to say, so I'm just going to leave it here.